Welcome in to episode 101 of the House of L podcast. And you're definitely going to get an education from our guest today. I'm Lawrence Holmes. I appreciate you checking out the podcast. I was telling you how there are some new innovations to the podcast. I'm working on it. Like I'm trying to be as productive as I can with the time that is now available to me as we all are in our home for more time than we would prefer to be. So I'm trying to relearn a skill and that skill is editing video. I used to be able to do that, but that was all the way back in like the late nineties and early two thousands. Like I understand editing, but trying to figure it out is, um, is, is definitely a challenge, but I am working towards, and I, I put it together this week. There is now going to be a YouTube page for the House of L podcast. So some of these conversations are going to find their way to the YouTube page because I've been doing them via Zoom. So there's video of me talking with my guests, including my guest for this week. So my hope is that you can go, by the time that you listen to it, that you can go to the YouTube page and that video will be up and you can check it out. And it's a really good conversation with a really good dude, my guy, Stephen Bardo. Stephen has done a little bit of everything from playing college ball, being a part of the Flying Illini, going to the NBA. He just posted a picture of him as a Detroit Piston on his Instagram page. I, I got a good chuckle out of that because I was talking about it on the air. I think that he's the best college basketball analyst in America. And yeah, I'm biased because that's my boy. It's one of my friends. But he's really tremendous at the way that he does his job. I think that he explains the game for those of us who didn't play the game. At that level, he brings us inside. He, he makes us understand what coaches are doing what players are thinking about because he played point guard at a really severe level and had success doing it. But he's a motivational speaker. He's an author. He's out here trying to help young people, which I think is incredibly admirable with his point guard vision program. He's just a good dude. And he's got an interesting story. For those of you who are Illini fans, I think that you're really going to enjoy this because he takes you inside the Illini program and takes you inside what it's like to be a member of the, the flying Illini. But there's also a big conversation about education and the importance of it. It was very important to Stephen's parents. It's very important to him. And you'll understand why. I'm so happy that he said yes. He's he's one of the guests that I was trying to get for a really long time on this podcast. And I'm honored that he was like, yeah, let's do this thing. So we start off talking about a lot of stuff, as per usual. Episode 101 with Stephen Bardo. It opens with him giving me a shout out from a mutual friend of ours. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Episode 101, Stephen Bardo. Stephen Howard told me to tell you hello. Oh, that's my guy, man. That yeah, is. Yeah, I just got off the phone with him. He told me to tell you hello. That's my light-skinned brother right there. He still got the good hair. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. All right, you yeah, ready to my, do that's this? My guy. 
Yeah, let's do it. All right, I have so much stuff that so much ground I want to cover with you, but can I start with your dad? Can we talk about your yeah. your your dad for a second? Sure. He, he's um he's a big deal at, at, at in Carbondale. What was that like for you to grow up knowing that your dad was such a big deal? Well, my brother and sister and I all walked in his footsteps. I mean, he, he's a giant of a man. He's done some extraordinary things. He's helped a ton of people. He loves helping students. And so, you know, we're just kind of, and I'm the baby of the family, so I just kind of walked into it, and this, this is how it was. And so, you know, it was it was good for me because – everybody was looking out for us, if you know what I mean, Lawrence, because Carbondale, 30,000 people. Then when the students are there, it might get up to 55,000. Um, so it's a small community. Everybody knows everybody. And so if people are looking out for you, they get, keep you out of trouble and, you know, support you when you do well. How important was education in your household? <laughs> uh, number one, because uh, mom and dad knew how to put the hooks in us. And, you know, they figured out, hey, if we can get them to love these sports, we can always take it away if they don't go to class or they, you know, slack off or they want to act up. It was always a hook. And uh, they knew what they were doing because all they had to do was mention the, hey, you ain't going to practice and you may not be able to play. Whatever was wrong would get righted very quickly. Do you remember when you kind of realized that you had a talent for, for ball? Uh, God, that's a good question. I, I think Lawrence, just because I was born into a basketball family that again, I just kind of, my first memories are either watching the game or having a ball in my hand. Uh, my brother didn't really want me tagging along behind him because I'm six years younger. So, you know, it just, I just born into a family of basketball. And I, that's my first childhood memories are either watching the game with my dad or trying to keep up with my brother going to the court. But was there a point where you like, I'm good at this. Like I'm, and it can be something instead of, you know, you're, you're on the high school team. Like, for example, like I, I played high school freshman year and I knew that I was never going to do more than that. Like that was going to okay. be the extent. Like I'm, okay. I'm decent enough in a pickup game, but for you, like there was a, there's an opportunity for you. So when did that crystallize that you were going to, that it was more than just an activity that you were doing after school? There was a tournament when I think I was in sixth grade and they moved me up to the seventh grade and it was a summer league tournament. And uh, I balled out Lawrence. I really did. And I don't remember why I was feeling so good or why I kind of was very aggressive when I hit the floor, but I was, and it was a three game tournament. We won the championship. I got MVP of the tournament as I got moved up. And that was kind of a, that was a sign. It was like, okay, if I really put my mind at this, I could be pretty good at this. Okay. So once you get, now that you have that foundation, mm -hmm. my guess knowing you is that that was only like an appetizer. Like, <laughs> like, like you getting that MVP was like, oh, and it, I'm guessing that it drove you once you had success. Yeah, it, it, it was, it's interesting, Lawrence, because, you know, my, my dad often said that he made me too humble. He and my mother made us too humble. 
And what he meant by that is, you know, sometimes we would defer on the court or sometimes we would, you know, me being a point guard, I'm looking to set other people up. And he's like, sometimes you need to set yourself up. Hmm. And that's something that, you know, kind of wish I would have been a little bit more aggressive, but you know, things turned out pretty good. But, um, you know, when you, you're coming from a background like that, every day is you just chip away. And it's not like they didn't let us put our heads up, Lawrence. It's you put your head down, you grind, you don't celebrate, you know, you, you talk amongst yourselves, you're happy, but you, you stay grounded, you keep working. And then maybe you look up your past, your opponents. And that's, that's kind of how the mentality was in my family. Why did you gravitate towards point? Do you think it was something that was personality driven? No, my dad put put the ball in my hand. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 yeah, I didn't have a choice. Like my brother was a two guard. He could really shoot. Lawrence, he's one of the best shooters I've ever seen. Seriously. And you know I've seen a lot of shooters. Um, 6'4", played in Indiana, uh, played the Citadel. He could really shoot it. But my dad was like, you know what, I'm going to put the ball in his hands. And he knew I was going to be tall. So it worked out. Why Illinois? Uh, two things. Um, the Nike All-American Camp. The, uh, I can't remember the acronym. A-F-B-E or something like that. AFBE. A-F-B-E. Um, Kendall. No, Kendall wasn't there. It was Nick, Marcus, and I believe Kenny Battle was there as well. And all the Chicago guys and all the regional guys, they gravitate in those situations because you're looking for familiarity. It's a, it's a competitive environment and you're young. And so I was hanging out with all of them and they said, wouldn't it be cool if we all went to Illinois? And so we made a pact there. I didn't really didn't think it was going to last or whatever. I just went on about my business. And my last two choices were Illinois and Northwestern and Lawrence, I was going to Northwestern. And then my dad told me to get in the car <laughs> and we took a little bit of ride and he kind of explained to me, uh, you'll be the best player on the worst team in the big 10. He said, you'll be miserable because you've never lost a day in your life and you're not going to win at Northwest. I came out of the car, I got back home. I said, mom, I'm going to Illinois. She was hot. <laughs> she, she was, she was upset, Lawrence. She didn't care about basketball, man. She wanted her baby to get a degree. Northwestern going to broadcast that was her old focus so she was not a, she was not happy but it was the right decision so how, how do you how do you smooth it over with her because she's clearly thinking beyond like she's thinking she's not thinking about the four years she's thinking about 40 so how do you smooth it over with her that this is a good choice and you're gonna end up in a great place I didn't have to smooth over because she knew my dad told me where I was, where I was going. <laughs> so, hey, dad said it. It was like, all right, this is a good deal. So uh, he did sleep on the couch for two weeks, though, Lawrence. No joke. After the first week, I come out. I'm like, dad, what's up? He's like, I got this. I know what I'm doing. And it was the right decision. What did you take away from your experience? Forget basketball for a second. Your experience of being a student in Champaign, what was it like? You know, I had a very rich experience as a student because I tried to do different things than the normal jocks or athletes were doing. Um, I tried to get in, involved in different 
activities and things of that nature. So I had a very rich uh, student experience at Illinois. Um, you know, I would go to uh, nursing homes with one of my assistant coaches sometimes and the joy on the faces when they would see me, you know, would propel me through a week. Um, you know, having difficult classes and having study groups and never really having study groups before, but the people look different and, you know, you kind of feeling each other out. And then after you get the, you know, the uh, project completed and you get a good grade and everybody's happy, it's, it's the same as sports. So I had a, I had a really, really good and rich experience as a student at Illinois. So how would you suggest that someone who is a scholarship athlete go about approaching their their student life on campus and i know that it's difficult with all the demands on time like i've traveled with college basketball teams too like those guys it's amazing to me like what they're capable of doing but how do you get the most out of that experience in 2020 and beyond lawrence i think you can do some things before let's say you're talking about student athletes, correct? Mm -hmm. So we have a scholarship basketball player. There's some things that a scholarship basketball player can do before they get to campus. One, take a Myers-Briggs test. Find out exactly what your strengths are, where you be, you know, where your personality is. Get as much information on that. So then when you get to college, you can put yourself on the path of that immediately. You don't have to go and take two years and, you know, worry about prerequisites and things of that nature. If you think that you're going to play at the next level, right? You could come in and take marketing classes mm. to boost up your YouTube and your social presence so that you can be attractive for local businesses to want to partner with you during your time so that you can make money and learn business while you're playing. So that can go for any student, not even a student athlete. That can go for any student. If, if the more information about what you're strong at and what you think you want to target, if you can get that going into college, then your student experience can really be enhanced. I think that's really helpful because I, I always wonder about whether you're getting a, the full like mosaic of, mm -hmm. of the college experience. Cause the classes are one thing. I mean, I, I'm a much better, I was a much better student at grad school over the last two years than I was an undergrad, you know, when I was a teenager, mm -hmm. but the experiences that I had outside of the classroom, those are things that I'll take with me forever and understanding how to, to navigate the world where you're on your own. I mean, granted, your parents are probably close by and the athletic department is going to take care of you to a certain extent but you're making adult decisions for yeah. the first time in your life. Like that is a, that's a significant turning point in the arc of your life. Oh, there's no question about it. And, you know, college can be overwhelming for some people. You know, you've seen it. I've seen it. People get down there, they lose their mind. They party too much. <laughs> they can't handle the freedom and they flunk out or, you know, different things happen. So, you, you know, I was very fortunate in that, I got the college experience in high school because remember I told you I grew up on SIU's campus and I, I just, I was there all the time. So I kind of got a sense 
of how that thing was going to go. Um, so I, I, I didn't have too much of a problem with that necessarily, but it, it is something where it's, you know, it's, it's, you have to make grown folks decisions. You, you're still bufferted a, a, a bit. You know, you're almost like a bumper car. You got bumpers on the side. They won't throw you to the wolves immediately on the first uh, mess up, but believe me, you continue, you'll be out of there. What was the point where as a collective, you guys knew that your team in 89 was a really special group. We knew that freshman year when we came in, cause we were a seven player group. We had uh, Phil Kuntz and Jeff Finke. Jeff Finke went on to play football at Illinois. Phil Kuntz uh, transferred to Iowa state. And then we had Kenny battle that came in with us cause he transferred from Northern uh, Illinois. He came in with us that year. Kendall, Nick, Irvin, myself, uh, missing somebody. I'm missing one. I cannot believe it. I think I'm missing a walk on or something. But we had a large uh, freshman group. And there was Ken Norman, Tony Weisinger, and Doug Altenberger. These were all Big Ten performers. Ken Norman would end up being a lottery uh, first round pick. And so uh, we were working these cats in practice. Glenn Blackwell, Lowell Hamilton was the number one high school player in the country his senior year. And we'd go into practice and they, they would get us eventually, but we'd work them and we'd talk smack. Coach would break the teams up. You know, he put freshmen with upperclassmen and we'd be like, no, because we're not starting. Let, let the stars go. We just go at them. So we knew freshman year that we had a special group. What do you think created that mentality of you guys were kind of in attack mode from the moment that you walked onto campus? Uh, my my teammate Glenn Blackwell recently was sharing on my podcast that he said we were a focused group and he was tripping that I could bench 275 as a freshman. Like he like he he was looking at me like this cat just got here. And he said, I've been here a year, year and a half or so. And I can't bench 275. So he said we were we were a very focused group and and, and hyper competitive. All of us were just dice, cards, whatever you want, drinks, whatever you want. We're competitive, and we took that on the court. So once you get to to 89, what's the feeling around that team? Like, what's what what was like your your goal? And did you, when did you feel like you could get to them? 89, we wanted to win a national title. Uh, we kind of talked about that at the beginning because the year before we were in the second round against Villanova and had them beat. We were up 10 with about a minute, 50 seconds. Like we couldn't hit our free throws end up losing. We would have played Kentucky in the sweet 16. We matched up very well with that particular Kentucky team. So we could have easily been in the elite eight our sophomore year. We were that good and we were getting better down the stretch in the sophomore year, we had some games on the road in the Big Ten where we were very impressive. So we, we kind of knew, and then that summer, um, the way we stayed on campus, all of us stayed on campus, and we ran, we, we lifted, we hooped, we partied, we did everything that summer together. And so we, we had intentions on winning the national championship. 
Who's the best player that you guarded? Uh, obviously Jordan at the pro level, Clyde Drexler. Um, ooh, oh, uh, Chris Morris, Auburn. 6'8", do it all forward. Um, hit me for 32, I believe, when I was a freshman at, at Illinois. Um, put me in the post. Put me on a poster at the rim. Shot about <laughs> three jumpers in my mug from the parking lot, hitting up with cotton and won me. He just he he put on a clinic. I couldn't do nothing with him. Can you walk me back to the Elite Eight game when you guys win? What that felt like? Hmm. Uh it was pretty, it was pretty incredible for me because I had a mixture of emotions because I had a bad game. Sherman Douglas wore me out. I felt fouled out and and Lou Henson hits me on the bench you know I'm walking to the bench and it's late in the game two minutes something like that and he's you know he asked me was I trying to throw the game and it it, Lawrence if if my parents weren't in the stands that day I might have hit him (laughs) I'm serious and coach Collins bless his heart saw it and jumped on me like, boy, you better sit down, you know, because he knew <laughs> I was about to retaliate. And so I was really upset when he said that. But Larry Smith came in. We held the lead. We go to lead eight. You know, we're all good and party and everything. So it was kind of a trip. I was really angry. But then knowing that you're going to the final four, man, that just it washed all that away. What do you take most away from the final four experience? that in life, when you have a goal, you have to be very specific how you talk about it. Mm. Because we used to talk about getting to the Final Four, getting to the Final Four. We knew we wanted to win a national championship, but that wasn't central in our language that we spoke. We spoke Final Four. And so my lesson that I learned from that, that you got to be really specific and utilize the language like you've already done it. Like, we're national champs. We're going to Seattle to become national champions. That would have made a big difference. And I think that we were talking about the Final Four. We got to the Final Four, but we couldn't. We didn't close the deal. Great one, great basketball games in the history of the Final Four, Lawrence. 33 lead changes. 89 to 87 in a Final Four game. There's some incredible stats in that game. And, we, you know, we came up short. But I think... I would have changed the language that I was using leading up to it that I think may have had, may may have made a difference. How long did it take you to get over it? I'm not all the way over it still. I play it off. Like I am. I, you know, I'm see Lawrence, you get the good stuff out of me, man. Cause me and you are tight. Right. And I feel Relax. So I just go ahead and spew it on your stuff. So, <laughs> you know, here, here it is. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give it to you straight. Um, you know, it feels tough when you get into a situation where you're that close to winning a national championship and you feel like you did your part, right? You feel like, you know, whatever your role is, you did it. You try to do a little bit more. But you can't say that about everybody involved, Right. And I'm not going to name names. I'll let people figure out what it is and who I'm talking about. But when you 
when you get older and you start to look at different programs and different patterns, you're like, wow. You know, on one end, it's like, man, it's amazing we got that far. But on the other end, it's like, man, but we had all this talent. We could have won two national championships. But it is what it is. So I'm not still, I'm still not quite over it because the difference between an NCAA Final Four appearance, which is great because it really benefited my career, uh, but a national champion, that opens up far more opportunities than it does a Final Four participant. It changes your life forever. That being said, there's just a celebration last year uh, celebrating the, the 30th anniversary of you guys. How did that feel to, to have that? Well, it felt great, um, you know, to, to see the guys. And we anticipated that we'd get great response, which we did. And, you know, it's just, you know, Lawrence, I see the business side of things differently as a 52 year old than I did as an 18 and 21 year old being kind of intoxicated with orange and blue, if you know what I mean. Absolutely. And so you, you get it, you start to look at the landscape and you see a different situation. So, you know, there were some opportunities that I was uh, privy to be included into, but I chose not to participate for various reasons. And then when we got there and I shared it with my teammates, why I wasn't doing what I was doing, and yet they did it anyway. They saw the response and they, they, they had a sense of why I did what I did because we're still beloved, Lawrence. And if SB 206 was in effect when we were in school, if, if we would all be millionaires, everybody off that team would be a millionaire, easy. The money that we could make if the NCAA went to a profit sharing system similar to the NBA, even if we made 46% and the universities made, what's the rest? I, I don't 54%. Know, 54, mm-hmm. Yeah, 54%. Uh, and you average out the amount per player on a 15-player roster. People in Illinois last year, not doing a flying Illini year, uh, players last year would have made $400,000 a piece. Louisville's players make one, would have made $1.5 million a piece had that type of profit sharing been in. So we know that that's not the case. We've had 30 years of people marketing the flying Illini. Mm. Right? We get, you know, we're giving up, giving up interviews, doing all this, and everybody seems to benefit except us. And so, you know, when you, you see that type of thing, it's bittersweet. It's good to go back, but it's like, wow, you know, we, we probably could have somehow garnered a piece of this, if you know what I mean. No, I got you. I, I compl- you have painted a very clear picture uh, for me on, on, in this regard. It makes a lot of sense, too. And it's funny because it's, it's like you're kind of retroactively fighting for the things that the student athletes are fighting for now. Exactly. Exactly. Let's talk Mm. about the NBA for a second. Okay. What's your fondest NBA memory? Mm, Wow. Nobody's ever asked me that. Fondest NBA memory. Um, Wow, I got to think about that one. 
probably one of the one of the better times that I remember was uh, Willie Anderson throwing me his keys to his Porsche so I could race off to the airport because we were, I was with the San Antonio Spurs. I could race off to the airport because my son was being born. My wife at the time went to labor, so I had to, you know, drive 90 miles to the airport, jump on a plane, fly to Atlanta and see my baby boy. So just the way that Larry Brown gave me a hug, he told me, hey, man, this is one of the biggest blessings that you'll ever have. Take the time that you need. We'll be here when you're ready. For a head coach, a Hall of Fame head coach to tell you that, it meant a lot. So that, that kind of window right there, I'd say kind of sticks out right now. Considering that ESPN's getting ready to do this 10-part documentary on the Bulls' final championship, and you'd already brought up dealing with Jordan in the pros, what was it like to guard Jordan? Um, helpless. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean if, if I'm being real, I mean, because, you know, Lawrence, I, I'm a defensive player. That's, yep. that's what I hold my hat on. Uh, but Jordan was, he was so focused and intense, and he's wired differently that whatever you try to take away, whatever you try to load up on, you might get in once or twice, but he'll figure it out. He's so strong, he's so quick, he's so smart, and he's so competitive that, I mean, you just hope he had an off day. And it wasn't, the, and the off day didn't really have anything to do with me or anybody else defending him. He just was off, because he's that good. And it's, it's tough, Lawrence, because when, you know, you're sitting there guarding the guy and you're like, this is the best, this could be the best player to ever play the game. And you can't be thinking like that because you sit there, you do that, he's gone. You know, I remember being on a free throw line with Clyde, Clyde Drexler. And I got in the game and I'm sitting there looking at him like, dude, that's Clyde Drexler. And he, he looked at me and he could tell Lawrence that I was getting, doing a little stargazing. He's like, what's up, young fella? Like that. And then, you know, he, turn back to the game but it's it's surreal man trying to but guarding jordan helpless <laughs> helpless is, is a good <laughs> word so you you saying you saying clyde saw into your soul a little bit he did he did because he's seen it happen a lot a lot of cats if they, the first time that you play these guys you hope it's in a summer league you hope it's in some informal situation so you can get that out of your system because as men we try to be all macho and everything like that, but I'm gonna keep it real. I'm just like, yo, first time I saw Dr. J, I had to keep my hand from grabbing a pen and going up and asking for an autograph. <laughs> I'm just me, I'm just kicking it real, bro. I had to fight the urge, man, because I'm a fan. I love Dr. J, and you know, love Jordan, love Drexler. I watch these guys, man, want to be like them, and I'm just like, I'm just like a normal dude when it comes to that, Lawrence. I ain't, I'm not. I ain't faking the funk over here. What have the best coaches that you've had had in common? They show they care about you outside of, of being a player. Their communication goes both ways. Mm. Not just one way, it goes both ways. They'll listen. And consensus builders people who can bring different people together and get them on the same page. 
and get people to accept their roles. I would say those three areas are really critical of like Larry Brown. Uh, Lou Henson had parts of that. Not all, but he had parts of that. Um, golly, I'm drawing a blank. Doc Rivers. People like that. Uh, oh, Greg Popovich, because he was, he was an assistant. He was great uh, at San Antonio when I was there. He was assistant. R.C. Buford was the GM. No, Pop was great even then. So guys like that, they, they have that ability to do those things. I feel like you have a lot of that, Steven. I, I really do. Has that has the coaching route ever been something that you've even seriously considered? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I have, Lawrence. Uh, I'd be an excellent coach to some junior high students or may, maybe high school students. I couldn't coach at the college or pro level because I'd hurt them cats, man. If you don't play hard, if you got some kind of ulterior motive and you're trying to be selfish, I can't deal with that. So I can, I can work with young people because I've got some size over them. My voice is booming at times. I can kind of, you know, get at them a little bit and show, you know, in the next thing, turn around and hug them and tell them I love them. You know, and I can get to them. But college pro mm -mm. and and Lawrence, the coaching, the coaching lifestyle, it's a grind, bro. It's tough. It's tough. Tough on family. It's tough on relationships. And I, I you know, I, I really have a ton of respect for coaches that laid on the line like that. But their families, they make sacrifices. And that was a sacrifice I just didn't want to make. Okay, fair enough. I mean, that that makes a lot of sense. I now I want to turn towards broadcasting. You know, okay. I, I talk to you about this all the time. I think you're the best analyst in America. When I watch you do games, I learn something. I take something from it. You tell me what's getting ready to happen in a lot of instances. And when something does happen, you're able to explain to me what just happened and why it happened before I get a replay. Like the replay is waiting on you. You're not waiting on it. And I, I appreciate that as a viewer. When did you feel like, hey, I have something that I can bring to the game as a, a color analyst and I want to get out there and prove it? Well, first of all, Lawrence, thank you for saying what you said. I, that means a lot coming from you. And you know how I feel about your work and what kind of professional you are. So thank you for saying that. That means a lot. Um, uh Repeat that, man. I was so enamored with what you said. It kind of threw me a little bit. Well, when, I, I appreciate that. When did you think that you could add something to the game on, on oh, the broadcast okay, okay. level? You know what, Lawrence? Um, it, it, it was really when I was in college and I got on a radio interview with Dick Vitale. And... I did such a good job. The lines are still open. And Dick Vitale said, you know, Bart, you did good. What do you want to do when you get older? I said, Dick, I want your job. He and uh, Lou Henson laughed because Lou was on the line. He's still on the line. I wasn't laughing. I was serious, Lawrence. And then the wisdom of Dr. Harold Bardo, my father, he told me, write a letter to ESPN, thanking them for the opportunity to come on the show, that you're a broadcast journalism major, and that you, you know, would like to possibly – look at some opportunities upon graduation, sent the letter out, didn't think anything of it, 
about a month later, I get a letter back from the president of ABC Sports, Dennis Swanson, Illinois grad. Got the letter, heard about the letter, got the letter. Wrote me a letter, said, I'll be in Champaign for the USC-Illinois game in the fall. Would love to meet with you. Let's watch the game together. I'll take you to the truck, and, and we'll get to talk. Fast forward to the fall. Meet with Dennis Swanson. Great meeting. He's a great dude. Learned about his background. Didn't realize how high up the chain he was, Lawrence. That's how naive I was, I guess. I, I didn't know. And I treated him, you know, like a, a nice guy and everything. And I think he appreciated that. And, you know, he ended up getting me in the business right after I finished playing ball. He got me in the business. And during the time that I was still playing, I would um, intern at, w, at CLTV with the infamous Rob Goldman. Remember Rob, right? I do remember Rob. Yeah, yeah. America remembers Rob. Exactly. So I was on with Rob Goldman, and I was getting my reps, man. I was cutting my teeth on the Bulls' playoff run, on their championship run. I was cutting my teeth in the offseason while I was still playing ball. And I got to the point where one night I took the filter off, and and I was really poignant, Lawrence, and I stopped worrying about what people were saying, and I started being very strong with my opinion. And two or three people got back to me the next day. It was like, yo, I saw you, man. That was good stuff. And I knew then that if I could ever get comfortable enough to take the filter off and go, I would have something to offer. And then fast forward while I'm working with ESPN, one of my first and second years, Terry Gannon is my brother from another mother. Love him to death. He treated me like a younger brother. I said, Terry, you know, I really want to be good in this game. I said, you know, how can I be great? He said, take the filter off. And so I've been working on that ever since, Lawrence. Well, That's it's when true. I, I knew the the filter's definitely off when you're when you're on the air. Have you ever felt have any have any have people pushed back on you because you're fair? I mean, it's not like you never say anything that's unfair. You're not personal. You don't attack people. But when it comes to the game not being played properly, you will for <laughs> sure call that out. So so what do you do when there's pushback against that? I respect people's opinion. You know, I'm not for everybody. You know, I, 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 I'm not everybody's cup of tea. And I understand. And it took a while to get comfortable with that, Lawrence. You know that. You know, that pushback that you get from coaches. Uh, I've heard from SIDs. I've heard from administrators before. And I've gotten so much better because it, I've tried to be, I try to put myself in their shoes. And obviously they're getting blowback from somewhere. Somebody, you know, maybe they don't, it, they understand it personally, but they're getting pressure from somewhere else. So, you know, these things are very intricate. And so I just, you know, I kind of shrug my shoulder and say, okay, you know, I'll hear them out if they want to call me or talk to me or shoot me an email or something or a text. Okay, that's fine. We're cool. I, and I, it's not going to change the way I call a game. Mm. But, you know, I'll take it into consideration. What do the best analysts that you like watching do when they're doing their job well? Be succinct. Give the the telecast uh, air to breathe. You don't have to always fill it up with talking because we're in a visual medium. Now, radio is different. But be succinct with your analysis so that you always, your your play-by-play partner always feels like if they need to get in and punch something home, they can. Like, like is nor is usually the way that 
play-by-play works on radio. But play-by-play uh, announcers are so used to laying back so much and waiting for the analyst that if the analyst has diarrhea of the mouth, it over it just it doesn't do well. I like I like partners. You know, they're laughing, inside jokes, talking. You know each other's uh, tendencies. You can you know where to poke. You know, you have running things going through the, through the season that are you know running things that you can return to. You know, and you make it entertaining, Lawrence, because we're in the entertainment business. You know, I can sit there and analyze why this this player did this the whole time or whatnot. But why not, you know, look at uh, Zetas Pan- Pantelis, yeah, from DePaul. Why not look at Zetas Pantelis' hair or his goggles, you know, his cele- his goggles or his celebration, or the fact that he actually understands that this is a privilege, not a right. Why why not look at that and point that out, point out the positive things around the game, so that people can, you know, because you know we have to be competitive. You know this. this College basketball is not a, you know, it's not the number one. We're struggling to be top five. And so we have to really do our best as analysts because we're gateways to the sport. We have to be very um, succinct. We have to be very collaborative with our partners. We have to be collaborative with the programs so that we get good messages out. Not to be, you know, overly positive when you need to say something that needs to be said. But I think to to enhance what's positive about the sport, to help the sport, I think that's our job. Do you have a favorite game or moment that that you shared on a broadcast? Okay, be be more specific there, Lawrence. So is there any game like like inside of a moment, like that you had inside of a game where you were mm-hmm. like, man, me and my partner are clicking. This game is great. The atmosphere is unbelievable. Like, we're everyone is in sync with what we're doing. Oh, I have that a lot uh, because I work with some of the best in the business, in my opinion. I think Kevin Kugler, Brandon Galden, uh, these guys are pros. They're pros, pros. Um, I, uh, who's the guy? Uh, Joe Davis. Um, Jeff. The oh yeah, uh, yes. Jeff Levering, uh, he's great. Jeff Levering, yes. And so you know, uh, Corey Provis, all these guys that we work with are pros, and they're good dudes. They're not. I don't work with guys, Lawrence, that have egos. They don't. They don't have egos, and so they're very easy to work with. And we don't do it all the time. We can't get that flow all the time. But it happens more often than not. I, I, I think we had, a, we had an incredible season because the level of play was so high. And so it was easy to kind of fill in around high-level basketball to kind of, you know, add into that and let that be the story instead of, you know, trying to be a ball hog with the mic and trying to shine instead of, you know, just being supportive of the game that, that's being played. Growing up in Carbondale, did you have an NBA team? Uh, my brother liked the Bulls. I always liked the 76 Oh, because of Dr. J. Exactly. All I right. have a poster of Dr. J on my wall, bro. I, I, man, listen, that was my man. But go ahead. No, no, I, I just try to, like, that's a, an area where I, I always try to figure out, like, if you get to, whether it's Carbondale or St. Louis, like, 
where are people like what team do they follow and how do they follow that team, especially back in the 80s? Yeah, that's a great question because uh, back in the late 60s, the St. Louis Hawks were there before they went to Atlanta. So a lot of, you know, that would draw a lot of regional uh, attention and, and people would, you know, uh, find affiliation with them. But a lot of times, man, guys growing up there, I mean, football fans, we, you know, it's just varied in my house. Me and my sister are Steelers fans. My dad, um, <laughs> you know, he loves the uh, San Diego Chargers. My mom is a Cowboys fan. So wow, brother, brother's a Chiefs fan. It's, it's crazy, you know. So growing up there, you don't really have an allegiance anybody because you're just kind of in the middle of nowhere in terms of pro uh, franchise. Are there any other sports that you wish that you could sit down on a broadcast and be a part of? Track and field. I was not expecting you to say that. Why track and field? Well, I competed in track and field. I was really good at it. I used to high jump, uh, quarter mile, mile relay, uh, 800. I, I, I love track. I still do. I can sit down and watch a track meet right now. So I would be Lewis Johnson trying to speak a little bit of French or Spanish or something like that, uh, trying to add some flavor to it. But I would love to call track and field because I, I love the sport. Oh, man, that's like not a man. That would be dope. Like you doing like a Big Ten track and field tournament would be awesome. No, I, I would eat that up, Lawrence. They they would the, the guys that would normally call it. They'd be in jeopardy of their job. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you. I put so much funk on it, man. They, hey, they'd have to bring me back. No, that a hundred percent. That that is the case. It's it's interesting because one of the other things that I think about when I think about you as an analyst is you as a teacher, and that you know that goes all the way back to your family. Mm-hmm. The teaching aspect for the viewer, how important is that for you? It's incredibly huge, Lawrence. I, I appreciate you recognizing that because I think when you educate. Edutain, E-D-U-T-A-I-N. The old, the old KRS-One album, Edutainment. That's right. That's right. When you, when you do those two things, people thirst for that. They, people love learning new things and helping them see the game a little bit better. It's like, oh, wow, I didn't, I didn't really understand it. Now, when I see it, I know what I'm looking at. So now what's the next thing? You know what I mean? And then when you start to, you know, you start to educate viewers, you bring them back. They talk. And so you just have to, I, I look at it from a, I don't know, I'm a grassroots guy, Lawrence. I think if I can affect one person in a positive way and I can get them to be fans or whatever, then I think that they will speak my value to, to five or 10 people. And if you can do that for one person and you can kind of focus your broadcast and your direction on trying to, educate and entertain that one person, then it typically works out. That's, that's the way I've seen it. Okay. Now I want you to do some teaching for me for okay. the, for these young cats that are out here that are trying to advance, whether they're junior high kids trying to advance to high school, high school kids trying to advance to, to college, college kids trying to figure out how to make it to the NBA. You've done mm-hmm. all of these things. What can you tell them about what they need to do to have the best opportunity to get to the next thing? Great question. Um, the earlier that you can devise a plan, the better. So I, I dropped a uh, interview with Shea Cotton 
was a high school phenom. He's got a documentary coming out called Manchild. Shay shared with me that when he when he got on the Sports Illustrated cover at age of 15, they knew they had to uh, really maximize his time. And he was in it, Long Beach and, you know, gang related activity going on around him, drugs and, you know, inner city, you know, typical inner city, uh, lower socioeconomical situation. His parents created time management chart that they would hang on the wall each week and they would plot out his chunks of time. If you do that as a junior high student and you do that throughout high school, that's, that's a helpful tool. The second thing that I would tell anybody, whether it's high school going to college, college going to pro, keep somebody around you that's going to keep it real. Keep somebody that around you that's like, okay, I'm better than Kendall Gill. No, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. You're, cl- you're close, but you're not, you're not better than Kendall Gill because Kendall Gill's working twice as hard as you are. And that's what happened in college. So you gotta keep, you gotta have people around you to keep it real. And if you if you have people that are, that can keep you grounded, and like you can look and see the competition and see what they're doing, you'll always learn. But if you don't have anybody around you, Lawrence, that can't keep it real with you, you stop learning. You become arrogant. But as long as you stay grounded and you start to look around at your competition, you start to look around at people you can emulate. You start to study people on. I mean, man, the internet, YouTube, you can study any player you want. And so if you have that plan and you have someone around you to keep you grounded, I think those are two very critical things that can really help navigate you to where you want to go. You were a defensive guy. A lot of these young cats, defense is not on their mind. How can they become better defensive players? Well, defenders at the elite level, and I, I will call myself an elite level defender. It's a mindset, and it's that's kind of you're kind of born with it. Um, you can develop, you can develop a little bit more tenacity, but you really just got to be a nasty, tenacious dude when it comes to being on the court. And that's I've always been that way. I took I told you earlier that my brother was six years older, and he used to treat me like a ball head stepchild. I mean, like no joke, bro. He used to wear me out, be physical, uh, you know, and so. I learned that every time I went up against him, Lawrence, I had to muster everything in my body to compete with him. And I got used to doing that. And a lot of people don't, they're not in that situation where they bring 100% to the playground, to the gym, whenever you compete, trying to muster everything you have in your body for that moment. That's a, that's a skill that some are born with, others have to develop. Uh, but that's what I would say. If, if you have those things and you study uh, offensive players, study them, see where they struggle, see if they go left as opposed to them going getting to their right hand, see if they like to, when they go left, they go into a jumper. When they go right, they go to the hole. You know, pick up patterns and then sit down with your coach and say, hey, coach, this is what I saw about this guy. I'd like to try to guard him. If you do that one time and you're successful guarding that person, you will get that assignment. This was delightful, man. I appreciate your time. I know that your time is valuable, even even in a quarantine situation. I know that your time (laughs) 
is is super valuable. But uh, I thank you for this. This has been quite the learning experience for me, and that's kind of the whole point. Like I I'm able to give this like put it on the podcast. I share it with my students. I throw it on the air. And it, it ends up being great. Like people love this type of stuff, like to understand because they watch you and they go, that's my guy. Like Steven's my guy. And so them knowing more about you, I, I'm I'm ecstatic that we were able to make this happen. Oh, anytime, Lawrence. You know, you're one of my favorite people, man. And keep doing your thing. I love your content. Keep it coming. I'll do my best, man. Thank you for this. And I will be in touch soon. Okay, my man. All Appreciate right, brother. You. Be well. All right. All right, man. See? That was a lot of fun, man. I learned a lot. I learned a lot about like what these coaches think. And it's great. I lo- I'm so happy that he was willing to engage in talking about his NBA career. Because Steven didn't play for a long time in the NBA, but he played long enough. And hearing those stories, hearing those stories about guarding Jordan and being awestruck with Clyde Drexler like those are great stories those are really really great stories so I'm glad that that he was willing to share those stories if you want to email the podcast if you've got a a guest idea for me hit me up houseoflpodcast at gmail.com and as I was saying at the beginning of the episode you can watch this episode on the YouTube page yeah I have moved into the 20th century, 20 years into the 21st century. House of L podcast YouTube page. Right now, this interview is up along with the interview that I did with Joanne Martin about teaching and learning from home. I think you'll enjoy both of them. If, if the video thing is your deal, if you'd la- rather watch it via video, be my guest. I'm more than happy to, to keep providing the content for you. So that's going to do it for this episode. And let me tell you, over the last couple of weeks, I have scored some uh, home run interviews. I'm really excited that people are okay with this and they're coming out in droves. So it's much appreciated. I thank you for the support of the podcast. It's it won't be two years officially until, what, June 1st, but we're over 400,000 downloads, which is way above the projections that I had for for us in year two. So thank you, and tell someone that you think would like this about this. See you next time. Peace.